Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz guitarist Peter Bernstein. Over the course of our conversation, he talked about his latest 2016 album, Let Loose, and a career that has given him an opportunity to be around great teachers and musicians. At the new school, he met and learned from legendary guitarist Jim Hall. Then he was discovered by alto sax legend Lou Donaldson and learned from legendary drummer Jimmy Cobb. This would lead to 10 years in touring with Joshua Redman's band and Diana Krall's quartet. He was born and raised in New York City and he's been a vital part of the Manhattan scene since 1989 and he has quite a few stories. So get to know Peter and dig this interview, my friends. So I'm going to go ahead and dive right in. I know we, uh, you're on the heels of your latest album, 2016's Let Loose. But give me an idea, along with this new album, what's been going on with you lately? Well, I mean, uh, a lot of the same has been going on as before. I'm, I'm playing a lot with different groups more and more lately with the trio with, with Larry Golding and Bill Stewart. We're doing some tours of the States. We just got back from Japan about a week ago, and that's been a nice uh, bunch of gigs we've been doing and made a new record back in February. That should be coming out next year. And I'm just, uh, you know, playing with different Different groups around the city, Mike the Don's organ group, just various various people freelancing with with different people and teaching and trying to put things together for the future more and more with with uh, my own group. So, right on. So, what what was Japan like? I always hear that Japan's kind of the land of of jazz worship. What was that like? Uh, well, the, the audiences are very respectful, and they're they you know they they have CDs and they come and when you sign them, they're very excited. And very enthusiastic and really uh, great supporters of, of the music. I've been there, you know, a bunch over the years, and uh, it's it's amazing. You know, it's, it's another planet in a lot of ways, and, and it's just great to be able to go there. And people seem to really care about the music and and know your records and uh, appreciate that you've come all that way. And and they come here too to hear music, and and uh, they really support support the music, you know, and different styles. There's, you know, there's kind of like, you know, you have your kind of bebop people over there, and then you have the, I mean, everybody, you know, they're really kind of into the full scope of uh, of the history, so. That's beautiful. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, that is. So let's the jet talk lag about... kicked my butt this time, though. I never, I never adjusted. <laughs> I've always been okay over there, but this time I was, like, awake every, you know, every night from, like, 2 to 10 in the morning. It was a different life, but. Yeah, that's no good. As soon as I came back, I was fine. You know, it's strange, but uh, yeah. I would I would figure that delicious sushi would even everything out for you. Oh yeah, we had some great food, but uh, you know, when I wasn't sleeping or playing, I was pretty much you know yawning. That's how I yeah. remember the week the week going by. But that was great. It was a great time. Beautiful. So let's talk about this latest 2016 album, Let Loose. Talk to me a little bit about how you feel about this album and the afterglow. Well, I just, with every album, I just feel uh, appreciative that I was able to, you know, put it together and got the guys and everybody, you know, showed up and played and that somehow it's just like an, usually just a a record of one day that we come together in this kind of sort of artificial place, but starting to feel more, more familiar, a recording studio and just try to play the music the best we can and, and conjure up the feelings of maybe the, the energy that an audience you know, could give you, but it's a different experience. I mean, I like the studio, but uh, it's always nerve-wracking. And, and I'm, you know, I just kind of feel it's like a way to, a fun way to spend the afternoon. And if it's your own record, because I've been able to do a few days as a leader now, it's a whole different dimension to the experience of hoping to, you know, try to 
capture something, you have it in your mind. You've been thinking about the, you know, what you want what you're hoping it could be. Uh, in this case, it's just like I just had a bunch of original tunes that I wanted to record. Some of them we had played before as group. Some we were kind of two we were playing for the first time. Two of them were kind of not getting played before. So it just you know we we had a good chemistry playing together at the Village Vanguard about six months before we did the record and uh, it felt good to play. So I was just hoping that we could you know capture that that feeling. I think it, it came out okay. I'm not really big on listening to records after they after I need to, like in terms of you know for for takes or here's maybe some little edits or things, you know, sound things. But I don't, I just prefer to remember the experience of the day of, you know, how it went and, you know, always exciting and like a little bit disappointing. You never capture, you never play as well as you want to and, you know, but other things happen that you don't, that you don't plan for and that's what, that's the experience of improvising in general. So you have to appreciate the process and accept the results, you know. Absolutely, without a doubt. So, did you grow up in New York City? I did. Yeah, I'm one of those rare uh, people from Manhattan. So, what was your childhood like to give you this love of, of music and more specifically jazz? Well, I always I always loved music and uh, different kinds of music. The first kind of music I really remember really loving was like ragtime music, and along with other things, along with like the Jackson Five and my parents listened to Beatles and stuff like that. I loved. Always loved, but I really got into uh, when that kind of ragtime revival came in the mid '70s with U.B. Blake and the movie The Sting and all that. Everybody was playing The Entertainer. I just loved the sound of that music, and so I wanted to take some piano lessons and got into music that way. I just played piano for a while, different things, and, and kind of got into the guitar and rock and roll and blues, and then just kind of found jazz through the guitar, through hearing about you know who's this guy, Charlie Christian, who's Django Reinhardt and Wes Montgomery and different people and just kind of got into the world of jazz through checking out these guitar players. Davis, Miles Davis led me to Charlie Parker and Charlie Parker led me back to Lester Young and then that world of Basie and then Ellington was another world of itself. And then, you know, and for, I mean, at the same time, I'm listening to, you know, all kinds of stuff. Charles Mingus and Abdullah Ibrahim and all different kinds of things, you know, Monk and getting into, you know, all kinds of music and trying to uh, get some context of, of of the history of it, you know, going back to, you know, the beginning, Louis Armstrong and before that, that's Waller and all that, you know, all that music, so how it all connects. I'm still kind of in that world and trying to figure that stuff out and, and you know, where the guitar fits into it, and yeah, just always, always love music, and just try to uh, follow my ears, you know. Yeah, without a doubt. So, since you were young, have you always wanted to get into music? Was that your dream growing up, or did you have other aspirations? Um, well, as soon as I got serious about the guitar, I was about you know, 14, 15, 16. You know, I was really into jazz by by 16, and then when it came time to go to college, I really just wanted to be around some people that were into jazz like I was and uh, there weren't that many options if we want, didn't want to go up to Berkeley up to Boston I wanted to stay more in the New York area so I ended up going to Rutgers University studying with Ted DeBar and Kenny Barron over there I was only there for a year but that was a great you know just kind of got me in the in that world of really trying to you know learn the music and also learn about how it's in social music and how to play with other people and 
collect experiences playing in all different types of contexts, you know. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I never really wanted to do something else. I just kind of, uh, once I was really serious about this, was just hoping that I could uh, keep doing it. it basically, until I, until I could figure it out, you know, until yeah. I could play something, you know, I just wanted to keep keep at it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to me about your formal educational experience with music and jazz. At the new school, what did you learn about music there? Well, new school, well, like every place that, I, that I've been, I've been to a few different schools, actually, but the new school, maybe more than the others, uh, just because there, I mean, there were more people around. It was, it was right in the heart of New York City. So it's always been about the people that you, that you meet, you know, the, 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 the professors, uh, people that you might study private lessons with or ensemble or whatever, whoever you kind of run across in your travels that are, that are the elders, you know. And, of course, it's about the people that your peers, too, that you can kind of get bands together with and play with and learn what it's all about. But the new school was great because it was just you never knew who was going to show up. You know, it was different people every week coming in. And, of course, the people that were there like on a re- more regular basis were Jim Hall and Jimmy Cobb. And uh, those was, you know, it was great to be able to meet those guys and, uh, you know, start, you know, kind of uh, relationships with them where I got to play music with them and learn about, you know, firsthand just like by playing with them. Try to, you know... Feed off their energy and their, uh, you know, their their mastery. You know. With Jim Hall, what did you learn from him? What what lessons did he give you that really kind of stuck for you? His whole uh, entire being, as a you know, as a as a human as well as a guitar player, it all seemed to be kind of one and the same. The, the qualities he had in his playing are very much, you know, the, the way he was as a person. You know, just very compassionate, very. Very sensitive, very you know, just just a very uh, intelligent and and caring person, you know. And, and when you play with him, he would accompany people and make them kind of sound better than they really sounded. And I had that feeling too, playing with him. And that was just a mystery. Like, how does he do that? What is? I mean, I know there's obviously knowledge of forms and harmonies and all that stuff and rhythmic feeling and all that that goes into it too. But there's another kind of level of just like, you know, kind of generosity that, that he exhibited when he played, like trying to make people around him sound good and share the musical experience, you know, like just the joy of playing music. You know, he used to say, playing music is its own reward, you know, just trying to put into perspective, you know, like you, you, you have to know why you do this. You do this because you're compelled to do it. You have to do it. And you don't do it for any other reason, you know, than to do it, you know, so... And he, you know, he would speak about things as a teacher, you know, just specific things that were on his mind about, like, playing motivically and just things he practiced. And, you know, but it was very much like, as a teacher, he was very much like, wanted to get stuff from the students. We had a class where there was a bunch of, you know, guitar players and him. And if a guy could, had one thing that was kind of interesting, he would say, yeah, what is that? Show, show us that. You know, what are you doing? There? You know, so that was good to see the teacher in the perpetual, uh, you know, quest for for knowledge himself. You know, and just trying yeah. to stay excited about it, stay stay you know, stay sharp. You know, and, and Jimmy Cobb playing or being around him was the same thing. He was wasn't really verbal about it, but when you played with him, that's what you felt. Like, okay, this is a different kind of feeling. Can you you know, can you get inside what he's playing and you know, let it let it let it take you take you along. You know, and he's also another just a generous spirit, just. A, 
you know, plays for you, you know. And uh it's that's a great that's a great lesson. You see people's strength is in lifting up other people, you know. Not just doing their thing. Lynn, you've been around a lot of great people like that. Nineteen ninety you were discovered by Alto Sax legend Lou Donaldson and recorded with him. Yeah. That had to be a huge moment for you. Yeah, that was I mean, that was great a great experience to be around him and Lonnie Smith who's playing organ with him and uh be around those guys and we're like, you know, kind of right right there when when the music was being created and just kind of being able to play with some of the originators of the of the sound and yeah, I mean just to try to you know, their person musical personalities were so strong and so uh complete that just to be around them as a young musician was, you know, made me kind of you know, it showed me what the standard was. Every time I kind of felt like I was a little bit this and a little bit that, it was because I was really, you know, it was in stark contrast to how, you know, how well they communicated their themselves through their playing. You know, so that's what being around the greats is always is always about, just their strength, how much themselves they are, if that makes any sense. Well, and I want to ask you about several others as well. From 95 to 97, you were in Joshua Redman's band. What was that like yeah. with Joshua? That was that was a lot of fun. That was really like my first real road experience. Where I played with Lou Donaldson before that, but mostly we played around New York and we did some little tours, but they weren't long tours. With, with Joshua Redman, it was like the beginning of like kind of living on the bus and like being out for a month and and longer and just really being part of a band. And that was a, it was a great experience. Brian Blade was in the band, Christopher Thomas on bass, and Peter Martin. And I kind of joined them. They they were a quartet for maybe a year and a half. And I think Josh was trying to get, writing some different tunes with a different color and didn't necessarily hear a traditional quintet and kind of moving to some other, you know, try to play some different kind of grooves. So we thought the guitar would be more, more flexible. And uh, yeah, it was really fun playing this band. I, I kind of, you know, some things, in some ways, I wasn't quite ready for it, but uh, it was a great experience. You know, learning, you know, every night playing different, different places under different circumstances, and truly trying to be a part of, a, you know, communicating the band, the band sound. You know. Yeah. Well, then that had to get ramped up a little bit more with Diana Krall in '99 to 2001. That had to be. Yeah, that was great. That was a lot of traveling and more, you know, of course, playing more concerts, and that was more of a. It was a little there was some room to play, of course, but it was the show was kind of set every night, and things kind of happened more on on cue which was which was cool it's a good challenge to try to you know play a show and hit your marks and be consistent and and all that it, you know, uh, I wasn't with her that long kind of in between records and uh I mean it was cool it was a fun gig and and she's great, and it was fun to be around her but I, I felt like I was kind of playing the arrangement that that were there before me, which I was and you know, it's cool. It was it was fine. It wasn't like I felt like I was really really a part of the band in the same way, you know, playing with Joshua's band or of course playing with Larry and Bill or you know, it's a different you just you just find there's different kinds of social experiences and you find the best way you can contribute each one. They're all different. You know, just yeah. like each social social, you know, experience is different, social setting, you know. Sure. But it was it was great. It was great. I saw a lot of the world, that's for sure. I so went to Singapore and the Far East and different places in Europe and I enjoyed it. I mean I really felt it was it was fun. I, I you know, I thought, you know, you know, we got actually for for it being a show of a singer, we got a lot of chances to play and she wanted us to 
that's another question that I have about travel. You know, you've seen a lot of the world. You've traveled quite a bit. What does travel do for you as as a musician? How does that help you develop and create and grow? I think it's, you know, being in different situations and, and getting more experienced and just trying to learn that you have to, you have to, uh, you want to be as consistent as possible. I mean, imp- imp- improvising, if you're really in a situation where you get to really improvise, you can always do that getting to, you know, play solos. Even if it's eight bars, you're still improvising, and you have a, this freedom to play what you want. So that's a challenge. It's not an excuse to, you know, run off at the mouth and not say anything, of course, but you still want to push yourself and not just play with you, you know, get into a, you know, robotic mode. So it's, it's the challenge is to be consistent and still stretch and still push yourself and try to practice a little bit and, and work on things and, and, you know, but realize that the most important part of the day is the gig and that's what you have to set yourself up for and, you know, get through it the best way you can and, and hopefully keep, be like you're, like you're growing, you know. You, you are just by surviving and getting through the gig and you're learning something even if you learn what, you know, how you shouldn't have handle a situation or whatever you, you you're still learning and it all it all hopefully uh you know just some some strength you know that you can that you can turn it on and and give muster the energy needed to give people you know what they deserve which is your which is your best which is your you know get to figure out what is your best is it playing your best licks or is it really trying to let go of some stuff and reach for some stuff, even if you might not make everything. You know, like, what should people come to expect of you? Is there some kind of uh, measure of success? You know, one person yeah. may like it, the person may not. So you can't, you just have to believe in what you're doing. And that, you know, but it's a privilege to be on the road and go different places. People seem to want you there because they brought you there. And it's really, it's, it's humbling. And it's, a, you know, it's a, it's a great challenge, you know. But it's, Absolutely. There's obvious hardships, you know, just like rest and, you know, focus. And yeah, it's a lot of spinning. You're definitely spinning after a while. And it's got to be, you know, got to keep your keep things simple, you know. You've been at it for a long time, since 89. You've been on over 80 recordings, festivals, concerts, all over the place. How do you feel about your career? I feel I've been very lucky to be around some incredible musicians. You know, lucky to have great experiences. And, you know, I, I kind of feel like, you know, I've been given a lot of lessons that, I you know, I should be able to have something to say for myself now. I should be able to play, you know. So I kind of feel like, you know, I don't want to sit around and, like, look at what I've been able to accomplish. I just feel like it's all just, it's uh, they're all steps towards, you know, the continuation of, of, of getting better, of getting stronger, of really finding out what it, I have what it is I have to communicate and find a way to do it. You know? So I just feel I just feel gratitude that I've been around so much greatness and you know really give back everything I can because I've you know, been very fortunate. You know? So let me ask you this: Who would you consider your jazz heroes? I mean, so many. I mean, of course, like Charlie Parker and Lester Young and but like that. Miles Davis, Coltrane, Sonny Rollins, Thelonious Monk, Bud Powell. All these are my these guys are my heroes, Duke Ellington, you know, all kinds of people. Kenny Dorham, you know, I mean, you know, many, many heroes. People that I've gotten to be around, of course, Jim Hall and Jimmy Cobb. It takes on a different, a different thing when you when you know them as a as a human being and have to play a little bit with them. 
in, in the case of Cobb and Jamal, it goes back over many years, so I feel lucky to you know, be around them. They're, they're my heroes. Of course, Sonny Rollins, someone I got a chance to play with, and you know, he's a huge, huge inspiration. Just fearless, you know, improviser, you know, just like very much uh, heroic in that sense. I don't know. I mean, anyone who has their own own sound and communicates communicates themselves, you know, fully and completely is, is my hero. You know, that's that's what I'm aspiring to. So I'm going to whittle the list down. Um, let me ask you this: If you could get into a time machine and witness a jazz show, where would you go and who would you want to see? That's uh, tough. I, I would probably. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I would probably want to go back to some to the place where maybe the recordings, the fidelity, couldn't doesn't really give you the full sound of what there's what the sound they had, what, what what sound they made. Of course, the Ellington band, but I would love to have heard Charlie Parker live. Billy Holiday, I mean, that would be something. Or or, uh, or Diana, to hear a singer like that in person, just to hear what their voice really sounded like in a room, not on the record. Uh, boy, Monk, of course, Bud Powell. To hear, you know, Coltrane Quartet with McCoy and, and, and Elvin Jones and Jimmy Garrison. All those things would be, you know, would be incredible. Yeah, they should invent a time machine. They should, they should have one of those by now. They should. I, I would hope. You know, I mean, we, Michael J. Fox did it, so. Got to be an so, answer for that. Event. Yeah, that'd be nice. So let me ask yeah. you this: Why do, you, why do you love jazz? Jazz is, it's many things. That it, you know, as I was saying before, it's, you know, just improvising, and of course, we're dealing with certain kinds of uh, sonic properties. You know, the sound, certain instrumentation, or certain things that make it sound like jazz. And I believe the thing that really makes jazz what it is, is is the rhythmic feeling, you know. There's a connection between Papa Joe Jones, Count Basie, and, and Elvin Jones with Coltrane. There's, there's some connection. It's, it sounds very different, but there's a there's a commonality in the way the pulse is defined. So, to me, that's what, you know, that's what makes jazz jazz. Of course, it's a very pliable thing where you can come at it with many different types of harmonies, different forms. But on some level, I think it's about dealing with, with the rhythm. So, if, you, if you're combining, you know, that rhythm or some way of dealing with that rhythm and then really improvising, really trying to tell a, a, a melodic story, you know, through a form, maybe not through a form, maybe just based on some kind of, some other melody, but just the freedom to improvise and to kind of weave a story, something that has to have musical content but also structure. It's not just how many words you know and how long they are, if you can rhyme them. There has to be some structure to a story, and that's just an, that's a, a daily challenge to try to you know to to do that to to uh, make your 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 musical phrases have some kind of narrative. So that's what I love about it is, is the is the never ending challenge. What worked yesterday, if you play it again the same way, it's it's now it's a composition. It's not an imp, you're not improvising. Anymore. There has to be some feeling of it being off the cuff, not really having the agenda of I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this. It's a different sensation. That's like, like I say, that's doing the show and hitting your marks and remembering your lines and being in the moment. That's great, too. But really trying to improvise and trying to look for something you haven't played like that before, that's like a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a miracle of your mind working with your muscles and trying to, you know, create some sound that's, that hasn't happened exactly that way. Uh, you know, that's what you kind of you live for those moments of like, wow, I did something that I never did that before. That's 
I'm glad I woke up today. I'm glad I was able to find that. You know, what's what can I find tomorrow? How do I yeah. get myself in the musical mindset where I can find these things anywhere I decide to look under? So it's just about finding places to look, you know, and trying to be in that mindset of creativity. So there's just so much distraction from that. There's so many, and that's as it should be. I mean, there's real life. This is not real life. This is this is art. This is like some kind of, you know, decorative and uh, you know, aesthetic sensual pleasure. We can we can indulge ourselves in. But yeah, you know, that's still a way to focus everything you see it around you. All the chaos, all the all the madness, all the you know. All the beauty and love too. Like you have to find a way to make what you're playing reflect what's in your mind. You know the totality of your thoughts. You know, but then music is this kind of abstract place where you can just focus on making little puzzles and stuff. You know, and it's it's a great distraction from life, but it's also something that comes from your life. You know, as it should. If it doesn't, then it's then it's not really an artistic thing. It's not an expression of something. So you have to be in touch with yourself. And also, you know, be in touch with the idea of what spontaneity is. And those are two hard things. And play an instrument. So yeah. it's a bit of a, you know, it's like being in the circus. <laughs> like going on. Let me ask you this. What's the nicest thing a fan has ever said to you? Well, to me, I, I just think uh, what hits me sometimes is when if someone says in a genuine way that I, I can recognize you. I always know when it's you. Like Facebook. I, I had some people say that, and that that inspires me to keep you know, try to figure out what what's me and what's really stuff I'm taking from from the language, from the public domain language, or specifically from somebody I I liked what they did and so I wanted to steal it. But if someone can hear some kind of you know personal imprint in what you're playing, that's in, that's in, that's inspiration to me to keep going and not go the other way and play what I know sounds good because you know Wes played it or. George Benson played it. You know, like, try to find your own way of putting the words together and putting the notes together. So that's yeah. the, that's that's encouragement that I that I like, you know. If someone comes to me and say, I, I can tell you like Grant Green, I, I'll take that as a compliment too. But <laughs> a, a better compliment is, you know, if someone says, I hear you on the radio, I, I know it's you, you know. So that, that's what I need to work towards. Yeah, more. right on. So let me ask you this. Everybody has a version of who you are. Your family does, your friends do, your business associates, those that are in the crowd that you play for. But who do you personally think you are? I don't really give any time to that question in terms of, you know, it's kind of a big question. I mean, who you are is a result of the decisions you make on a moment-to-moment basis. So I don't know. That question is, uh, like right now I would think of, like, who I am would be, I'd be the person that decides to answer that question a certain way. I can't really yeah. see beyond what that moment is. So, sure. So, you know, I can't really. Who do I think I am? Well, I don't know. Just objectively, I'm just someone who's trying to, you know, learn how to play music on the guitar. Yeah. I don't, I don't need to make it any more complicated than that. Within that, there's a lot of other things that go into it. And also, besides that, that's in our context of how we're talking, but. Who do I think I am as a person? It's not just as a musician. I'm, I'm more things than than a guitar player. So that's one part of it. It's just am I am I a good person? Am I an honest person? Am I a responsible person? You know, I'm a father. I'm a husband. So all those things too. So 
Yeah. And all the things that go along with that. You know, so yeah. you could just answer with these, you know, I'm this, I'm this, and this. And that's uh you know, that's a lot right there. It is. Yeah. And you answered it very well. That 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 really <laughs> kinda I think Yeah, I mean yeah. there's so much that goes into a person, I totally understand. Peter, that was my final question. Thank you for opening oh. up your world. Thank you for giving me your time. I appreciate your story. Thanks, Thanks for care. everything you do, man. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Peter for his cool, his music, and all the stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store or visit theneonjazz.blogspot.com for all things Neon Jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.